Would you pray with me before the reading of the scriptures? Father, give us ears to hear your word read. Jesus, season my words with the salt of your gospel and stop our ears from any conjecture, from any misapplication or misrepresentation of your truth. Holy Spirit, enliven us in our thirst to know and live out your truth. Amen. We are uh, continuing our series of using the Lord's Prayer to look at the whole Gospel of Matthew, and I'm uh, doing something that I'm encouraged to do semi-regularly. I don't always do, which is, you know, you're the pastor. If you want to go ahead and preach another sermon on this, um, you can. So I'm going to bounce around a little bit in Matthew to hopefully help us see the power and the guidance and the commands of forgiveness and of relational restoration that Jesus gives. And as the one who writes the liturgy, it's challenging when I forget to use the liturgy that I've written. When we conclude the reading of the scripture, I am going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and if you're so willing and able, you'll say, praise be to Christ. Last time I read the text, I did not do that, even though I'm the one that's making us do that. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Steve, can we back up? We were on five and we jumped, and I'm pretty sure it's my fault. Sorry. Okay. Well, I can read it straight from my Bible. I know where it is and everything. I'm going to read from Matthew 5, and then we're going to jump up to Matthew 7. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you'll be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Beware of false prophets come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree, diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Moving to Matthew 11. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And now to Matthew 21. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do it what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. I started to write into my notes um, some questions like, is Jesus more interested in the head or the heart? But I know that you're much too smart of a crowd for that. You've never fallen for um, that false dichotomy, Right? I had a professor in seminary who anytime you asked him an either-or question, he would scrunch his face up and say, are the two things mutually exclusive? And have we exhausted every other option? And we would go, <sighs> and then by year two and three, we would stop asking him either-or questions, and then we learned more from him. I think you know that Jesus is as interested in your intellect as he is in your emotions, as he is in your very being. Is Jesus more interested in you acting correct or righteous, or is he more interested in your motives? Yes. Is Jesus interested in, more interested in your prayer or your service to him and his kingdom? Yes. And this is why I've come to love the book of Matthew. If we only had the book of Mark, we have this action-packed, almost Indiana Jones-like Jesus and it kind of would leave us hanging. If we only have the Gospel of Luke, I think we would have a moralistic Gospel left to just Luke. If we only have the Gospel of John, we have a spiritual Gospel, but we do not understand as clearly as we do from Matthew how very, very dangerous to ourselves and our neighbors sin is. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 44, 45, and 46, Jesus says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went out and sold all that he had and bought it. I know I already read from three different sections of Matthew, but the integration and the interdependence of Jesus' teachings are incredible. And before we talk about forgiveness and restoration of relationship, which we talked about last week, but I think we need to spend a little more time on, so we are. We first notice Jesus' statement that the kingdom of heaven is something that we give all of our allegiance to. 
all of our love to. In praying the Lord's Prayer, we are worshiping and declaring where our affections and our allegiances are. Oftentimes, we really don't know until we lose a job or get very sick or someone close to us gets very sick. We're in the midst of a pandemic that we did both collectively and very, very alonely. We don't really realize where our allegiances are. One of the most humbling things about being a pastor is watching great suffering drive people right into the church every Sunday. And the same kind of suffering drives some people away and we don't see them again. Self-caused, medically caused, from others. We learn over time where our allegiance is and we receive that kingdom. Earlier in Matthew 13, Jesus tells the parable of the sower, the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the leaven, which are all ways that to a Jewish listener would, would translate to something that we more quickly call and the rest of the New Testament calls grace. The kingdom of heaven is first something that we receive. God's love pursues us and we receive it. And then we begin to trust him. Jesus' miracles and healings were designed to support and help us understand better and trust his teachings. And then we follow him. We are displaying allegiance and love in the way that we do life, in the way that we think, in our internal motivation, and how we pray. We pray our Father. It's a move of allegiance and love. We're going to use this to focus back on forgiveness and restoration of relationship. But Jesus taught regularly that we are trees, and those trees are either good and therefore produce good fruit, or are worth nothing more than kindling. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. One of my mom's favorite verses on a side note. She's going to be pretty happy. I'm going to get a text later because you played violin. She played violin. She always texts me whenever you play. Thanks for playing violin, Anna. One of the more challenging things, but also one of the more important things about understanding Jesus, especially in Matthew, is how he interacts with the Pharisees. And we've talked about this. We're going to keep talking about it because if we don't, we will not understand Jesus as well as we can, and there will, we will not experience life as it is available to us. Jesus is not anti-Pharisee. He's anti-some Pharisees who are making some extra laws that were not found in the Old Testament. In Matthew 15, he's pointing out to them that they have made a law that keeps them from having to take care of their parents, which is actually what the fifth commandment is about, adults taking care of the older generation. It is good for children to obey adults, but the fifth commandment is more about that. And then he's talking about another law that was only for priests that the Pharisees extended to everyone that, about hand washing. And he says this, and he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. The disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone, they are blind guides. 
And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. Thank God for Peter. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth and passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person? For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. There's a lot going on in the scripture. It's probably quite obvious to you. I'm not trying to explain all of it to me or to you. But I want us to see Jesus repeatedly describing us as trees that are healthy from the inside out and that bear good fruit. We display allegiance and love when we forgive. It's a little bit ringy. Maybe it's just me. It's a little ringy. Thanks. If we have received his rest, Matthew 11, come to me all you who are weak, heavy laden, tired, I will give you rest. Then we resist our instincts of vengeance and retaliation. You know, it's so sweet about this. People have hurt you. And when you resist Jesus' command to forgive them, you're actually continuing to allow them power over you. It's one of the reasons we're returning to this and pausing over it, because there's freedom in trusting Jesus who commands us to forgive. And we're going to talk about relationship restoration in just a second, but when Jesus talked about forgiveness, that's not what he was talking about. He was talking about releasing our picture of vengeance coming down on them and us being the one that both judge and jury and exactor of that vengeance, that's the judicial component of forgiveness. When we do that, not only are we following Jesus who commanded that we do it in very, very amplified terms, Matthew 6, 14 and 15, we're also releasing ourselves from that power that sin connects, and the only option is to either pay them back or to release. While forgiveness is not linked to restoration, it does create space for it. Or space for a new relationship. Some wounds actually re-clarify what kind of relationship you have with a person, but that doesn't mean you can't have a relationship with them in the future. Though Jesus' teaching is not guiding us toward that, his teaching creates space for it. And in an intimate relationship, when there's a wound and forgiveness, there's an opportunity for welding. Talked about this last week, but I think it's a pretty good metaphor, so I'm using it again. When two metals are welded together, they become even stronger. In an intimate relationship, when there is actual apology, followed by actual forgiveness, followed by actual repentance, I will not treat you that way in the future, the relationship has the opportunity to grow stronger in that space. There's a link in many respects throughout the scripture of how forgiveness and suffering grow us up and mature us. 
We don't have to be thankful for our suffering. We don't have to be thankful for the number of times that we thinking back to how James talks about it, we are supposed to be a little bit thankful for our suffering because it grows us up. Ah, shoot. But many of you know why I'm saying this. Because I've heard over a dozen pastors say, I don't know anyone that would give up what happened to them because of what they learned. And I'm like, I'm so thankful for what I've learned through needing to forgive and through suffering. I'm so thankful for it. And that's the gift. God is so gracious to not only help us understand suffering, to guide us into forgiveness, but he grows, he matures us through it. Doesn't make it easy. I don't think we need to be happy about it and pretend like it's pleasant. How about that? James wouldn't argue with that. Hopefully it's fun for you to watch my brain correct me in real time before. (laughs) We display allegiance and love to God when we forgive. And forgiveness is judicial. Or we do not exact vengeance. And then, and for some of us this is a long road, forgiveness is emotional. It involves letting go of the picture of that person being ruined and accepting a picture of them... um, their life somehow flourishing or uh, blessing, we need to be able to long for their good. And if you close your eyes and are thinking of an enemy and you can't, then you have spiritual work to do and Jesus has given you a path to do it. And it means you've been very harmed. And yet to release, (laughs) to forgive, to let go of that is one of the chief everyday blessings of the gospel. And forgiveness creates space to wisely consider if and how to find one another. And I use that word very deliberately because it, it isn't easy, is it? To find one another. You know, when Jesus gives the golden rule in, in Matthew, a lot of us very shallowly think that that means treating others in the same way, like semantically, that we long to be treated. The only way we can actually follow the golden rule is if we know the neighbors in our life and how they like to be treated. Believe me, it would wear you out and annoy you if I treated you the way, most of you, the way that I naturally like to be treated. Very talkative, very verbal processy, very emotiony. Some of you are like, yeah, and others are like, and I get to learn that and then move towards you in that way, and you get to learn that about me, move towards me as you're able. That's actually what the golden rule means. When we forgive, we create space to find one another. We release the idea of their ruin. We imagine their good. We do not participate in their punishment, even if we need to turn them in to authorities locally, that doesn't have anything to do with it. It exists in concert with the spiritual act of forgiveness. Two years ago, a 16-year-old who visits the church periodically to see friends, he lives out of town, said to me, two years ago, he said, three years ago, you said, you know what's better than forgive and forget? Forgive and heal. 
And I was moved because a 16-year-old remembers something I said when he was 11. Andy's right, I did say that. And the reason I said it is that's what the gospel is getting at. We look for, cl- for, for cliches and for trite statements because this world is that disorienting that we look for things that we can latch on to, but the gospel is so much better than forgive and forget. It's forgive and heal. And when we confront one another. Jesus' full expectation that if you are in Christ, to use Paul's language, that if the kingdom of heaven is yours and you are part of it, that you, that motivates you in wise community. I love the contrast between Matthew 5 and Matthew 18. Matthew 5, we read. Matthew 18, we didn't. We read it last week. In Matthew 5, it's you know that someone else has something against you and you stop doing the religious activity and you pursue them. In Matthew 18, it's you know you have something against them and you go find them. And one of the primary, well, never mind. I'm not going to get into that. We talked about it last week. This is where I learned. It's from these two scriptures that I learned what I mentioned last week, that in forgiveness... We must wisely assess the power difference between us and the other person before we consider relational restoration. The example I gave was it's different for a teacher to forgive a principal, to forgive another teacher, to forgive a student, to forgive a parent. An easier example is it's in a family, it's different for a parent to forgive a child than it is for a child to forgive a parent or a sibling. In Matthew 5 and in Matthew 18, Jesus is... Um, creating scenarios where the power is relatively balanced and fully expecting us to find ways to go talk with one another when we're concerned that we've offended one another or worse, when we know that someone has offended or sinned against us. Listen to this word, listen to Matthew 5 again with the question, Jesus, how dangerous is it to do spiritual things when I know someone's upset with me? Jesus, how dangerous is it to do spiritual things when I, know when, someone is, when I know someone is upset with me? So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember your, that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to term, and then he switches metaphors right in the middle of the teaching. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going to a court while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you'll be put in prison. That's when we're concerned that they have something against us. In Matthew 18, it's, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Jesus is expecting the knowledge that we have God as Father and His kingdom of heaven living in us to help us do wise community and be willing and able to forgive and to confront one another that relationships might be renewed, restored, rebuilt. How much should we try? That is a very wise question. With forgiveness, we always offer it. With relationship healing, we go quickly 
but we're very wise about repetition. We're cautious. Three or four times is technically what Jesus says. Probably with some space in between for us to pray and think and ask wise people how often we pursue this. But both are essential parts of the Christian life. We forgive and be willing, though it will not always go well, to confront. We display allegiance and love when we forgive and confront as the Lord grows us up. Throughout the book of Matthew, Jesus uses the analogy, or uh, the metaphor, of a tree. And it's one of my favorite metaphors for what we receive by faith. And I think you know this metaphor. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a... Yep. If I say love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, what are those? Are you impressed with how quickly I can say it? I stumbled a little bit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's because I learned it as a song. Where do we get those? Galatians 5, what are they called? Some of you said fruit. Some of you said fruits. Going to give you a quick um, Bible trivia bit. It's fruit. Because you're a tree. And with the Holy Spirit in you, your roots are growing strong and you can withstand the storms of life. And with your branches, you glorify God with the beauty of your words and actions as his follower in the world. You offer shade and good fruit to the neighbors in your life. And that is why Jesus killed a tree. One of the weirder miracles that supports his teaching that it is not just actions and it is not just private religious activity. It is our whole life that is either in worship to him and offering shade and fruit and stability to the world or we're not very valuable. We receive the kingdom of heaven, we trust the king and we follow and know him and his commands. We're going to do something really spiritual. And if I was in your seats, sometimes I do not like it when people do this. I give you full permission to dislike this. I'm still going to encourage you to do it. There's someone in your life, you may not be in contact with them, and they're not for you. Maybe they're not actively plotting against you as far as you know, but they're not for you. You know they're not. We're going to take a moment and we're going to pray for them not out loud, and if they're sitting next to you, please don't do it out loud. We're going to take a moment and we're going to follow Jesus' actual command because this is how we live as his followers in this world that is so violent and unloving and so uninterested in truth. We don't just do this, but we do this. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's not from the Bible. Sometimes when Jesus said, you've heard it said, he's quoting the Old Testament. Love your neighbor is from the Bible. It's in Leviticus. Hate your enemy was an extension. People were adding to it. 
You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I'll give you a moment to pray. God, we ask your blessing on those that are not for us. Strengthen us both to forgive and to pray for them as you commanded. Amen. If you're like me, which some of you are, others of you are not, you might be thinking right now, I should call them. Ask a wise friend before you call an enemy. Pray for them. Ask a wise friend before you call them. If you had to grit your teeth during that prayer, you have some spiritual work to do. And Jesus tells you how to do it. He has all the grace and power you need. It'll take some prayer to continue to release them and to pray for them. If that was easy for you, to imagine someone who's not for you and to uh, pray for them, Listen, this is so important. If that was easy for you, that is the Holy Spirit in you. You know that you have been forgiven much and you can pray for those who are enemies in your life. When we follow Jesus and forgive and sometimes confront, that is heaven in breaking. That is the kingdom of heaven invading this violent, lustful, nihilistic, anarchic world that is also noble and beautiful but marred by sin. And it's very, very beautiful when we follow him. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you that you not only forgive us, but then you command us to find our neighbors, forgive them, and potentially restore our relationships. God, there is an incredible amount of pain in this room. Help us to drop that right at your footstool our imaginations in regular prayer and then let it motivate us in relationship as your followers. Father, we praise you for your fatherly care. Jesus, we thank you for your forgiveness and guidance. Holy Spirit, we are relying on you to enliven us to live as becomes followers of Christ. Amen.